This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. It's good to be with you this morning. We are in the book of Genesis. We're actually in Genesis chapter 15. Starting with verse, starting with verse seven, and we're dealing with we're dealing with Abraham, and we're dealing with an idea that I had a jury trial Monday, and I've got another jury trial today. We got to strike the jury, and we'll see if I get it done today or whether it'll leak into tomorrow. But as we go through, as we go through this passage, is is really important. It is important because it reveals it reveals for the first time. God's a process by which God entered into a covenant with someone and walked through that covenant with them. And in my, I'm trying to figure out how to do it in some cognizable way, some way you can pull together and put together in your own mind in a way so for you to understand. Because a covenant, the actual word covenant in Hebrew means to cut. And the reason it meant to cut was because I think about all the times in the Bible where, not in the Bible, but just in our culture where you see people do what's called blood brothers, or they make a deal with each other. And if you ever seen them cut their hands, that can be a, there's some, there's, there's some kind of situation and people agree to something and they want to make it more important. And there's some shedding of blood. And when I say shedding of blood, just small amounts, but there's some shedding of blood for the situation. Those, all those ideas come from the idea of a covenant. And a covenant is a contract. It's an agreement between two people. It's as simple as a contract, but it's more complex than a contract in this regard, because the reason that blood is shed is because a covenant is not limited. Contract is a covenant. A contract is only going to last for a certain period of time. A contract can only go on for, for a very minuscule amount of time. But, and when I say minuscule, that could even be hundreds of years, but it still has a limit to it. Not a covenant doesn't have a limit to it. A covenant, covenant's limitless. And, in, and what I mean by that, it, it lasts for the life, for your whole life. It's a life contract. It's a contract that actually has eternal significance. And so the contract moves from the physical to the spiritual, which means it, it is far more important than just some kind of agreement that you might have with each other or an agreement that you might have with somebody that that you don't that you don't know. It is a contract between two people who know each other personally. And it's a contract that that the reason blood is shed is in the blood there's life. So it is a contract that that ultimately it, the the contract is of eternal significance. It it lasts forever. It's a contract with an eternal being most of the time. It's with God. But although we have covenant relationships in our lives, marriage is a covenant relationship. And, and it is to be for life. 
and so also is our relationship with God and the covenants he made with us. Now, as we go through this, I do want you to see some of the things that are important about this covenant that God made with Abraham because, because well, it, <clears throat> it, has, it gives us understanding of how God views his covenant relationship with us. This is a forerunner of the covenant we have with God through Jesus Christ. The sacrifices that are made by animals, these animal sacrifices that we're going to see here, they covered sin. And I think this is important for you to get and understand. The sacrifices that the Old Testament atoned for, they covered sin. The sacrifice of the New Testament in Jesus Christ pays for sin in full. And as you can see, the covering of sin is a foreshadowing of the payment of sin in the future. And so it says, and 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 it says in verse seven, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. What he's saying, God's taking him all the way back to the original part of their relationship. He's taking them all the way back to the beginning. He's saying, listen, this is not this where we're at right now is not a new place. Where we're at right now is a continuation of a plan I already have for you. He's showing him, look, I'm the one who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And now you need to realize that when you're dealing with God, you're not ever in a new place with God because you, God began with you a long time ago. In fact, God began with you before you even really had any realization or understanding that he was actually at work in your life. In fact, the Bible quite clearly indicates that God was at work in your life before he knit you in your mother's womb. And so God's work in your life is not a not a, a new thing to him. And it's not a new thing in your life. You're just now learning how to walk in it. You're just now walking in it in its fullness. You're just now figuring it out. And when I say just now, even somebody who's been walking with God for 50 years is in God's timing and the way he thinks about and in, in a covenant situation, which is an eternal life situation, it's just the beginning. 50 years is just the beginning. And it's not new to God. It may be new to you, but it's not new to him. He says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of there of the Chaldeans. And he said, I brought you out of there to give you this land to inherit it. What he's saying is, look, where you're at, I've already planned to give it to you. And then it says, obviously, Abram has a question about it. He said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? What he's saying is, I can, is there anything I can? Is there anything I can see? Is there, I need some idea. Now, I will say this to you, and it is real important because as my mind works, I move from legal to biblical to legal to biblical, and sometimes it's like ping pong in my head. As I'm as I'm talking about this, God is giving him land, and and our actual property, as far as real property, which is land, our property laws are tied up and based in biblical ideas that it is wild. It really is wild. One of the things that's important is you do not have a contract for land or you do not have title for land unless it is written down, unless it had, there's some kind of act, a physical act in it. And in our laws, you've got to have the two parties, you've got to have the land properly identified, or at least identified in such a way that everybody knows what that land is. It's got to have a date. It's got to, it has to have signatures. It has to have all this kind of stuff. That doesn't, that wasn't necessarily the truth, even going back to England, but they would, even in England, they would grab a hunk of the ground from the land that they were selling. And when they, the other side bought it, they would hand them this big hunk of earth and grass and stuff like that. And it was the idea of a physical transfer. There was some physical representation of 
that property being given over. And that goes back to ancient times. And and really what Abraham is saying is, Lord, if you're going to give me this land, shouldn't you like give me a big hunk of ground? Shouldn't we have a deed handed over? And we know that deeds are important. <clears throat> and <clears throat> we see a really important deed found in the book of the Revelation. It's the scroll that's written on both sides that no man can open and has seven seals on it. And that is the title deed to the earth. And we can understand why Abraham would ask this question. He says, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? What he's saying, you're now giving me this land. You're saying I'm, you're going to give me this land, but <clears throat> I, don't have a, I don't have a contract. I don't have a deed and it's an inheritance. So you're bequeathing it to me. How do I know I'm going to get it? How do I know that's going to happen? And that's not a terrible, that's not a terrible question to ask God, is it? He said, he's saying, listen, God, how do I know? How do I know that I'm going to get this that you say? Now, you're asking God who's eternal how you know you're going to get it. That, those questions, when you're dealing with God and when you're dealing with the promises of God, I don't know about you, but for me, questions come up, especially when I'm not necessarily walking in what I need to be walking in. I begin to question everything. And and I'm I, I could be the only one, but I don't think I am. I, I think most everybody begins to question God as to his promises and what he's going to do. I think that I think questions come up in your head. Now, I do I think they're a part of your sin nature? Yeah. Do I think they are part of your limit, limitedness due to you due to who being human? Sure, but I think they're real. I think it's real to have those questions and to have those doubts. I think those are real and they're proper. I don't think they're improper and I really think it's of the utmost importance that you actually talk to God about them. If you've got, if you've got, if you've got issues in a relationship, shouldn't you talk them out? I think so. I think so. I think you should sit down and talk them out. And in fact, God says He wants us to do that with Him on a regular basis. He says, "Come reason with me." He asks us. He He tells us He wants us to come and sit down and, and talk with Him and think through these situations. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God wants us to sit down and allow him to reason with him. Why? Because in what he's doing, in his relationship with you, in the path of life, knowing what's going on is knowing God, because God is what's going on. Knowing what go, what's going on is knowing God, because God is what's going on. Even in the things that you can see around you that you don't even think that God's working in, you got to remember, God can take even the evil in your life, even the sin in your life, and work good out of it. He has always got something going on in your life, and he is working out the sin of your life. He is washing that out. He's cleaning that out, and he's cleaning out your imperfect view of him. He's showing you he's revealing himself. So was there anything wrong with Abraham asking this question? No, no problem at all. He said, so he said to him, notice, God's going God's gonna to give him, God's going to give him a physical representation of a spiritual truth. That's really what the Old Testament's all about, too, by the way. Though all the Old Testament, all the stories, all the symbols, all the things that go on in the Old Testament are really just they're just really foreshadowings. They're foreshadowings of truth to come. And that truth is embodied in Jesus Christ and it's fulfilled in the New Testament. But those Old Testament ideas are true biblical, true godly, true eternal understandings. They're physical pictures of spiritual truths, they're out there for you to see all the time. And really, uh, that's ultimately what verses 9 through 11 are, is God's making a covenant. We know a covenant is 
for life. A covenant has eternal value. A covenant is uh, a covenant is a contract, but it's way more than a contract. We we know that because we've already discussed it this morning. But as we look at it, I'm going to tell you, I did some research last night, and a lot of people really even deal with what's going on in, and really nobody, to tell you the truth, really deals with, not in any real deep way, deals with this, what God asked him to do. He asked him to bring five animals, really, is what he asked, three, three mammals, three land animals, and two birds. And he asked them to make a sacrifice of them. And, and now remember, in a very rudimentary way, not in a, a deep way, but in a very rudimentary way, land animals always represent the physical almost always. Something in the physical, it may have tied to the spiritual, but it's always usually physical. Now, birds always represent the spiritual. Uh, birds represent, and they have, and even the devil's the prince of the power of the air. That which flies in the air, really naturally, I'm not talking about F-22s, but we're talking about birds that fly in the air generally represent the spiritual and they can be you know fallen angels and they can be god's angels they can be demonic they can be they can be those who have they're just pictures of spiritual beings okay and by the way we're spiritual beings so it would be appropriate when god makes a covenant with us that he would make a covenant both in the physical and the spiritual because jesus said those whom the father give me i give them eternal life and we understand that eternal is the life god gives us in the new birth by the spirit and we see that in, in when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in the first part of John, he says to Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? And Jesus says, spirit gives, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. I say to you, you must be born again. Born again is not a physical work. It's a, it's a, it's a physical work. It's a spiritual work and a physical work. And as you're looking at this, there's three physical animals, and then there's two spiritual animals. Spirit, the Holy, the number for the Holy Spirit is two. So I always find that interesting. And I can go through this in all kinds of ways. First, there is the three-year-old heifer, cattle, oxen, all that kind of stuff is always a picture of human flesh. So that is split into two. It can't be put to get back together. It is cut into pieces, and, and that is a picture of God cutting our flesh into pieces, destroying the power of sin over us. As you look at that, as you see that, I would say to you that 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 is a that is a picture of the spiritual at work. I mean, that God cutting the physical out. He is he's dealing with the flesh. And then it says a three year old female goat. And a lot of people go, well, goat that's not good. And the goat's not good. But in the Bible, as far as sacrifice is concerned, a goat is important. And you actually use the phrase all the time. You may not know that it's actually a biblical phrase, but the phrase scapegoat is used all the time. And what is a scapegoat? A scapegoat is the goat each year that they used to place their hands on the goat's head and place on the goat the fault of maybe a town, maybe a city, maybe a village, maybe a, a family. And they would place all that on the goat and then they would put them outside the camp and let the goat go out and be uh, be eaten by the wolves and the, uh, go out alone. And that's where you get the idea of a scapegoat. You let them go out alone, and they're the ones who take the fall for everybody. Notice as a part of this covenant, God puts to death flesh, and he puts to death fault. Notice, he puts to death fault in the scapegoat, in this goat. He says, listen, we're going to remove the fault in any situation that we find ourselves in. We're going we're gonna to move on past that. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put ourselves in a position where we're not where we're not dealing with fault. The third thing is the ram. 
And the ram is always a picture of, it can be a picture of Jesus. In fact, it is a picture of Jesus later on in Abraham's life when he goes to take his son to sacrifice him on the mountain. And there is a ram <clears throat> that's caught in the thicket for the sacrifice. And God tells him to sacrifice the ram. And Abraham does that. But a ram in scripture always seems to be a picture of leadership or who's in charge or strength like that. And when you're looking at this and when you're looking at this situation, what you're what you're seeing is God's putting to death man's flesh. God's putting to death man's fault. And God's putting to death. God's putting to death man being in charge in this relationship. And that's what happens in a covenant, isn't it? In our covenant with God, in our covenant through Jesus Christ. Isn't it in a situation where God puts to death our flesh? It, it, the covenant's a covenant where God says, I'm going to put together, I'm going to put to death your flesh. I'm going to, I'm going to take away the fault. I'm going to take away the fault of your sin. I'm going to take away, I'm going to take away the the pain of that sin and all that comes with that. And then also by the way, you're going to put to death you being in charge, and I'm going to be sovereign, and I'm going to be in charge of her life. That's a perfect picture of that for Abraham. And what God's saying is, you're not in charge of your inheritance. I'm in charge of your inheritance. You're not in charge of your offspring. I'm in charge of your offspring. You're not in charge of your future. I'm in charge of your future. That's what that's what's going on. But now you're going to have to put to death your flesh. That's hard, man. It's hard to put to death my flesh. But it's not when we walk with the Spirit. You say, how do you put to, who, how do you put to death your flesh? Live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's how we that's how we put to death our flesh is we walk by the Spirit and we cut off access to those things that those things that feed our flesh. We're gonna talk about a little bit about that Sunday morning because I think it's really important. And Jesus actually mentions it. So that's gonna be a part of the sermon Sunday morning. It's in the next verses in Mark. You know where it's at, so you can easily look it up. He says, it says, and then he took notice, he doesn't cut the turtle dove and the young pigeon apart. He doesn't cut them apart. They're just they're just killed as a part of the sacrifice. Remember, the spiritual is not, is not broken. The physical is broken. The power over the physical world is broken, not the spiritual. And notice, so they're not cut into two pieces. They're just sacrificed. And by the way, if you didn't have a lamb, if you were a poor, and this happens like several times in the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, God prescribes the sacrifice of a lamb for a certain thing. And then the Bible says, but if you can't have, if you don't have a lamb, meaning really you can't, you don't have access to one or you can't afford one. He says, take a pigeon, a young pigeon and a dove or two pigeons and two doves and sacrifice them. So it's a picture of, it's a picture of the final atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So you have the pigeons and the doves represent the, representing the spiritual and they're in place of the lamb. Uh, notice there's going to be a lamb come and fix it. But the spiritual in the lamb is the culminating, is the culminating sacrifice. But God put together, puts to death our flesh. Notice he, he puts to death our fault. And notice he puts to death our us being in charge. That's what he does. He puts all those things together, uh, puts those, all those things to death. And then he atones and sets himself up through Jesus Christ, through that, that final atonement for sin. And he puts to death that. And he pays for it completely and totally. So it says, he says, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Notice that the enemy tries to immediately uh, come down. Uh, notice they're spiritual, they're birds, vultures. I remember when I was young, they had this big giant campaign out in California for Kate for save the California condor. And and I thought, man, those 
we need to save those birds because I was six, seven, eight years old. We really need to save those California condors. And then I saw a picture of them and I realized those, those are buzzards. I'm, 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 okay, maybe we need to save them. I don't know, but I don't like buzzards. I, do you like buzzards? I don't. And then when they sit on those power lines and they spread their wings, it don't, it just not look right. That's wrong. I don't know. Anyway, so as I'm, as I was thinking about that, it, but that, that physical reaction to that and seeing that is that physical reaction to that is, is actually a spiritual thing. Buzzards do represent the enemy. They eat, the, they eat death. That's what they do. And they're a picture of fallen angels eating death. That's in the Bible. That's what they're picture of. And notice these vultures come down and they try to mess up the covenant or get in the way of the covenant God's making with Abraham. And who drives them away? Does God drive them away? No, God doesn't drive them away. Abraham drives them away. Why? Because he's got a covenant relationship with God. Now he has the power of God. Now he is. Now he's contractually obligated to God, but he's also contractually benefiting from God. And remember, remember, there's a promise for a benefit, and and that's a contract anyway. It's a promise for a benefit, or benefit for a benefit, or promise for a promise. That's what contracts do. And so Abraham drives them away because why? He has the power over As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.